0: Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com dot com.
1: Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered to be terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com.
2: Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404-
3: This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall
1: and welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. I'll be joined in just a moment by Andy Morocco, and it's kind of a follow-up from what we did last week. We're going to be talking about Flight 19 again, but before we do, I want to mention one thing. Uh, A friend, John Steiger, sent me a link to a grave marker for one of the um, uh, sailors, one of the Marines on Flight 19. In, uh, at Arlington National Cemetery. And at first it didn't make, make much sense to me and I got to thinking, if he's got a grave, is there a body in the grave? And if there's a body in a grave, then flight 19 didn't completely disappear. What's the deal here? And according to um, Doug Westfall last week, in, in an email to me, he said that the family was surprised by the marker being there and they hadn't requested. So I went, uh, I asked Arlington about that, sent him, a, sent him an email, they responded quickly told me that, yes, there are many graves. There's a whole section at Arlington for uh, service members whose bodies haven't been recovered for, for whatever reasons, a lost at sea, for example, lost in combat, veterans who donated their bodies to science. So there's no body available to, to bury, but they have grave markers at the cemetery. So there's a, a marker, but there's no, no body in it. And I asked them again, uh, I, I also asked them, if it was, uh, how, how did that come about? I guess, how did, how did this happen? Because none of the other flight 19 people have a, have a marker there. And it, they said it basically has to be asked by the family. So someone in the family had to have asked for that. Now I had a couple of leads to phone numbers and emails to members of, of his family. And the, um, I haven't been able to make contact with any of them, but I think the logical thing here is someone in the family requested it at Arlington. They put up the marker and his um, Arlington also told me that um, one of the guys on the Mariner flight and, and Andy Morocco and I will be talking about the Mariner flight tonight as well, that uh, when it disappeared, it disappeared as part of the search party on the same night, there's a marker for uh, one of the one of the uh, one of the fellows that was on the Mariner there as well. So it's not that unusual. So that kind of brings you up to a little bit up to date. Of course, Flight 19 was the Avenger torpedo bombers that had been on a routine training mission. They took off in less than favorable conditions. They were supposed to make a t- torpedo run on hens and chickens shoals out in the Atlantic and then they were going to turn north for a period of time and then come back to Fort Lauderdale as part of a training mission and they never made it back to Fort Lauderdale and that's kind of what sparked uh, a great deal of interest in the Bermuda Triangle. Um, Andy Morocco, who I happened to see on the um, Expedition Unknown with my good pal, Josh Gates, (laughs) um, was talking about some of this as well and I I was able to find... His website, which is Museum. So it's, I guess, the Naval Air Station, Florida Museum.com, all of it lowercase, all of it one word. And he is a Flight 19 researcher and a historian. After 70 years, he believes that one part of Flight 19 mystery has now been solved. And we'll talk about that. Over the past three years, he has discovered new and exciting information that was unknown and overlooked by the public and other Bermuda Triangle researchers. These clues have allowed him to calculate the probable location of the PBM Mariner, that's the flying boat that took off in the search, known uh, by the call sign of Training 49, which disappeared after Flight 19 was lost. After presenting his findings to the Naval Air Station at Fort Lauderdale Museum, uh, they thought his research would lead to the successful recover of Training 49, the, the flying boat. Uh, therefore, he is excited to announce that the museum has agreed to become partner and curator of the expedition that they call Project Mariner. And this was something that they talked about on Expedition Unknown with Josh Gage. Andy Morocco, all of this now, welcome to a different perspective.
4: Well, thank you very much, Kevin.
1: Um, we've had some fun chats here in the, in the last week or so, and, and I always hesitate to do that prior to the program because I think we'll use all the good stuff before we get to the program. Mm.
4: There's always now, good stuff to talk about, especially when it comes to this particular uh, subject.
1: Yes, yes. On Flight 19, you have a theory about what happened to them and where the aircraft may be resting
4: Yes, actually, um, we're getting ready to make a a fairly big announcement about uh, some new evidence. Uh, And when I say evidence, we have data that actually has been overlooked. And I think we have a really good idea of where Flight 19 uh, has come to rest.
1: Can you expand on this exciting new evidence?
4: (laughs) Well, uh, I can't expand too much on it at the moment, because that's the whole point of having a a press conference in the near future here. Uh, We're looking at doing uh, this, um, you know, we would have done it around this time, you know, right now. But since the COVID-19 incident happened, we didn't have the ability to really get the press together. And so we're kind of waiting for this to die down a little bit. So that way we can actually do this at the backdrop of the museum and make uh, the announcement of uh, the discoveries that we found and how we think it'll actually help uh, lead us to the site. Uh, And hopefully we'll get some uh, sponsors uh, with uh, the equipment uh, and the vehicles, you know, uh, the ships and the the ROVs that will go out there to help us look for them. So uh,
1: if I understand what you're saying, the flight uh, all went down together in one location
4: well, yes. I mean, you know, I, I know there's this misperception that people think, oh, you know, if if they, uh, you know, went down together, then that means they all landed at the same exact time. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean it that way. Sometimes people uh, take things uh, too literally. Um, it seems to me that, uh, you know, my good friend John Meyer, uh, when he wrote his book in, in 2012, he had come up with theories uh, that— um, you know, that the the actual flight disbanded essentially. And, you know, one of the first things I did uh, was call him up and told him my opinions. And uh, needless to say, it didn't go good on our first conversation. Uh, I think uh, we pretty much said some uh, negative things to each other and we hung up. And, um, and then of course, uh, a day went by and John cooled off and I cooled off and we had a great conversation and he realized I was a, uh, a legitimate researcher, someone who was going to question the status quo, and uh, in, even if it meant other people's theories, you know, the idea in finding Flight Nineteen is to be able to work together in order to essentially p- play devil's advocate. Well, wasn't um, you- John
1: John Myers John Myers' idea was that, the, as you say, the flight broke up and mm-hmm. some of the wreckage had been found on land? I, I think he's suggesting some of the wreckage had been found.
4: Well, again, you know, this goes back to John's writing of the book in 2012. That's what he believed was, um, you know, the theory. And that's all it was, was a theory. You know, until you have physical proof, everything's a theory. Um, and John has never been able to attain physical proof. Um, and, and that is why when I talked to him in 2012 and the book was already written, he never followed up with another book to explain the stuff that, the stuff that we both discovered together um just working with each other and how none of that stuff was actually uh provable and uh in most likely not probable
1: well one of the things in the book i think is the idea that um uh, sergeant george uh, panessa mm-hmm.
5: had Vanessa? survived
1: had survived and went to live in caliput after after this happened he went awol mm-hmm. and went went and lived in in um in California, and he's—he's he's of course the man that's got the marker in—in in the cemetery, which is what sparked my chasing this thing down over the weekend.
4: <laughs>
1: but there's a telegram he supposedly sent to his brother, mm-hmm. and I know that you have it on your website as well. Mm-hmm. And and you say probable hoax. Why do you why do you say it's a probable hoax?
4: Well, um, you know the the reason I say that um, is because that letter really didn't come to fruition until the craze of the Bermuda Triangle in the, in the mid-1970s. Um, so that kind of tells you right there, there was obviously somebody who uh, probably took um, liberty in finding something that wasn't provable and maybe saw that as an opportunity to uh, get publicity for selling a new book or uh, a new theory. And, and that's the problem, is you have truths mixed with lies and that's what makes uh, this thing such a mystery. It's a conundrum that makes you go uh, chase red herrings. And in this case, I believe it's a red herring. I mean, if if it was true, uh, this stuff would have been known uh, prior to the 1970s, and it wasn't. Um, so I think uh, those are things that you have to take into consideration.
1: Okay, I'm going to have to take a break here because we're running up against uh, that time. Sure. Um the uh, website for you is www.nasflmuseum.com. So it's what, Naval Air Station,
4: Florida Museum. Yeah, actually, oh. that's for the museum. But if you want to know about the Flight 19, my website is actually very simple. It's flight19.com.
1: Oh, well, that's much simpler.
4: Yes. I like that.
1: Um, And I'll I'll put a link up on my blog, which is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Well, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about um, Flight 19 and the possibility that someone may have survived or what, what all that means. I will be back right after this with Andy Morocco talking about the Bermuda Triangle. So stick around.
0: Are you
3: looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net.
1: In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional, rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past life lives it links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet's day i was able to verify some of jenny's claims she has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife does this prove the reality of her tales conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions conversations is available at amazon.com I am here with Andy Morocco. I learned about him uh, from Josh Gates at uh, Expedition Unknown. I like to plug Josh Gates as much as I can because I enjoy his programs. And I also want to thank those of you who have purchased a copy of the best of Project Blue Book. Um, It's been up and down on the various Amazon bestseller lists, which I kind of like. If you enjoyed the book, think about uh, writing a review about it. And I I say that because those sorts of things actually help a little bit to get the the word out in the um, and and get people interested in buying the book. And I also should mention there are some other fine programs uh, about the paranormal on the X-Zone broadcast network at xzbn.net. So take a look at the listings at the website, and I'm sure you can find something that will spark your interest there. I'm here, as I say, with Andy Morocco. We were talking about Flight 19, and I'd mentioned that telegram that was apparently sent to uh, uh, George Pranesca's brother, at at some point there do you know when that telegram surfaced in the public arena
4: yeah the, i i believe it was in the mid 1970s uh when uh the books and tv were really pushing uh charles burlett's book about the bermuda triangle
1: do you know where it came from do you know who had
4: no, it no no
1: so we have we and in ufology, we have this problem all the time. We have all these great documents, but we have no provenance for them. We don't know where they came from. We can't trace them back. We can't get any kind of uh, verification of their authenticity. So I understand that. I thought maybe you were going to say that it uh you thought it was a hoax because the guy had been killed in the uh in the accident, and therefore he couldn't have been sending a telegram. so
4: well, you know, you can never rule anything out you know i'm I'm pretty much in the belief that you have to have evidence to back something up. Um, You know, no one can say definitively that George Payonesa survived or uh, that he died. Um, All we know is that he never came back. Um, So that could lead to two different possibilities, right? So you just want to decide on which one you want to believe. I think if you look at the majority of evidence uh, that exists, uh, it's highly unlikely he made it back.
1: Well, I would—I'd would say one thing. Um, if he, in fact, survived and became a contractor in California and then passed away in the '60s or '70s, there should be an obituary somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if that obituary exists, then it would list his next of kin, which would uh, allow us to verify it's the right guy. Clearly, mm-hmm. there was a guy with the name George Panesca in in. California as a contractor he's in the phone book and everything else but is it the same guy
4: yes and actually the the funny story about that is is Doug actually uh uh who was your guest last week uh a- actually asked me to go look at uh Arlington um it is Ar- it's called Arlington National Cemetery in Riverside not in uh in um Uh, Washington, D.C. There's one in in Riverside, California as well. And there is a George Payonesa uh, headstone out there, but it's not the same George Payonesa. Obviously, they are maybe distant cousins. Uh, George is a very common name. Uh, Payonesa isn't. And so I guess Payonesa uh, did have family, not only in in the New York area, but also in California. So uh, I did go out there, and it does look like there is a, a gentleman named George Payonesa actually buried here as well. Um, And that's probably the one Doug's talking about when he talks about the one that had a contracting business and in Los Angeles. Um, I'm sure that would be pretty easy to follow and be able to find out exactly Social Security and all that. And, you know, someone who wants to disappear, uh, even back then, would have a hard time trying to fake his death uh, to the level that we try to today. Right. So um, I think it would be even harder uh, to do it back then, to be honest
1: so your your opinion and I, and i think it's one that uh, most people share is that the entire flight disappeared together they did not break up and as a former military pilot who did a lot of formation flying mm-hmm. i just couldn't see the um, flight breaking up as right. as they realized that they, they were going to run out of gas and some guy said well i'm leaving the flight i'm going to go do something else here i just couldn't i just can't wrap my right mind around that um, so I was always of the opinion that they they followed the order that um, Taylor gave, which was when the first man is down to ten gallons of gas, we'll all ditch together. Mm-hmm. So they came down in a relatively compact area of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, and I, I always thought it was a good idea because it would allow search and rescue a bigger target to search for. If you know, mm-hmm. two or three guys in the in the ocean, paddling around in a little rubber boat or in their May West would be hard to spot. But if you had more people and more of that debris around, it'd be easier to find them. So I always thought it was a good idea to do that um, as a last, well, I was going to say last ditch effort, and that's exactly what it would have been, last ditch. Yeah, uh,
4: and I, I think you have to think about something there. And it's, it's not just that. It's just the, the whole thing when you take in survival aspect of it. I mean, if you separated and left each other the chances of survival or anyone surviving would be minimal. Um, you need help. And in a situation like that, uh, especially if you're five guys that are uh, flying at night uh, in, the, in the middle of the ocean, and there's no lights, there's nothing to see, there's, you know, what are you supposed to do? Uh, I would take my chances and, and work with everybody to, you know, take turns trying to make as close of a landing as you can next to each other obviously not at the same time because you would never know where each other's at. But if one went down, you would circle around and try to come back and get as close as you could. uh, So that way the swim, if there was one uh, would be possible. And then you guys could all work together to, to survive.
1: Well, and that makes perfect sense to me uh, in that, in that respect. Now, as I said, Taylor gave an order to do that, um, to, to stick together and, there is no evidence that the flight broke up, right? I mean, it's the evidence is they were they stuck together as, to the very end.
4: Yes. Uh, you know, all the research, and, and here's a little quick plug, and I, and I think the audience really should look into this themselves. You know, listening to authors and reading books is one thing, but sometimes the actual people who are interested in the subject matter have to read the, the actual documents themselves. And what I've been able to to do in the last five years was actually get the official Navy report. And I took it and put it in order because it was never in order. It was on uh, microfilm, and I put all the pages in order and all the documents, like the uh, the evidence, which are like maps and um, HFDF bearings and and different things all together so that somebody could read the evidence and make a conclusion themselves. And we have this on flight19.com, um, and you can get uh, essentially the two books for less than $10 together. And they're PDFs, so that way you can zoom in on the pages and actually read and see the actual material. Well,
1: one of the things that bothered me is um, the failure of the compass. Now, I we... And I say we, as a helicopter pilot, we had a magnetic compass and we had an ADF, an automatic direction finder. Mm-hmm. And One of the things about the ADF is it covers the commercial broadcast band, which means you could listen to the radio mm-hmm. um, while you were flying if you didn't need it for uh, uh, navigation purposes and have to f- uh, focus on a uh, training aid or a, a navigational aid. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered how... Taylor's both his compass, his magnetic compass and his ADF would fail. And why weren't the rest of the guys in the flight aware of that and telling him you're telling him about that? What was what's the deal with that?
4: Well, again, it it goes back to how do we know anything uh, and how do we know that those events occurred in the way that they that people have transcribed in in books and articles? Um, You know, based on what we see, uh, we have to look at a few things. The first thing, and this goes back to the show with Josh Gates, uh, to start answering your question about the compass, the first thing we have to figure out is what happened? How did they get lost initially, right? Um, And so we have to look at the basics, and that is it was very easy for Taylor to get uh, turned around in this scenario because, one, he had just transferred from um, Miami Naval Air Station, Uh, just two weeks prior to him taking this flight out. So this was actually his first official flight of taking students out of Fort Lauderdale, which, by the way, he didn't want to go on. He asked to be dismissed. Uh, I think that came from the fact that he was unsure of actual landmarks to use as an instructor. And even though the actual flight was not to use landmarks, because it was basically a dead reckoning exercise where you use your watch and a plotting board, um, in aerology, that was for the students to do, but the actual instructor should have had landmarks to utilize. And so, basically, according to the Navy report, it stated that he was to fly a course of ninety-one degrees. Um, you know, when they left Fort Lauderdale. But if you look at the evidence that's put into the the maps that are a part of the official report, they say ninety-seven. So and he was.
1: <laughs> so so, it's course. easy
4: to confuse yeah he was off he was off course he was expecting to see a piece of land uh and he didn't and to make things even worse at the 91 degrees where uh he would have been which would have been a, a like a middle of the ocean there um he would have been north of this piece of land that he was using as as his landmark but he got lost from the simple fact that visibility was only 10 miles Right. But he was 15 miles from that piece of land.
1: So he was unable to see it. So he's his compasses may not have failed him. It was the na- uh, navigational error based on getting the uh, wrong direction.
4: That's right. It's It's that simple. And then. Now, the next logical thing, and and now, of course, this takes a little bit of speculation, you know, because, again, it's not in the record and we don't know what he was thinking, but the circumstance isn't far off, I think, for most of us to gravitate to, and that is this. If you don't see what you're seeing, the first thing you start to think is, maybe my compass isn't working. Right. Okay,
1: let me let me interrupt you there because I have to take my break, and I hesitate to do that. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Flight and Titan and then I want to get into the Martin Mariner, which I know you and Josh Gates had some interesting evidence that you found uh, during during that program. The website is flight19.com. Mine is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and the books are The Best of Project Blue Book and uh, Roswell in the 21st Century and Encountering the Desert about the Lonnie Zamore sighting. We will be back right after this, so please stick around.
2: How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your
3: dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. For more information on the Zone Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exoneradiotv.com or www.xzontvchannel.com, or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light.
5: Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit iconquality.com.
1: I am joined by Andy Morocco. We're talking about Flight 19. When we went away, we were talking about navigational problems and the fact that um, he had a a six or seven degree difference between what the course he was supposed to fly and the course that he actually flew, I guess. And uh, the further you get away from your starting point, the further away you get from where you're supposed to be going, and it can become quite distressing i suppose because you don't see what you're supposed to be to see but the guys in the flight were doing the navigational problem didn't they say hey there's a mistake here we need to do something I mean, they basically flew around in a circle till they ran out of gas didn't somebody say to the the flight leader hey we've got to go a different direction to find land
4: absolutely based upon you know all the evidence including the testimony and the transcripts and the radio logs and i should preface on radio logs one of the things that you have to understand is these weren't tape recorded you know back then they were basically written down and they were uh, uh, set up in a summary or uh, memorized as quickly as they could be by the radio operators who were writing it down um so sometimes they would take the liberty of summarizing the full conversation versus the exact words that were said so i just want to make that clear to your listeners
1: okay um you said something earlier that i wanted to touch on as well um
4: oh but wait wait, wait. let me answer your question though (laughs) you did you did ask me the question and that was didn't anybody say anything about aren't we going the wrong way uh it, it obviously became apparent and if taylor claimed uh his his compasses were out i would probably buy the fact that maybe one could be out but to have two i think most pilots would uh you know, say that that's an improbability for the, for one, you did have four other planes that had compasses and nobody claimed that they weren't working. And then we obviously know later on in the flight, they are using their compasses because they're talking about flying zero, three, zero degrees, zero, nine, zero, you know, two, seven, zero. So we know they're using them. So somebody's was obviously working.
1: They had ADF in the, in the aircraft, right? Uh, aut-
4: automatic, automatic directional finding is what you're saying. Yes. Um, yes, they had the ability to so they, home in they, on things.
1: Sure. They could have tuned. They could have tuned into a radio station in Florida.
4: Theoretically, yes.
1: And flown to that radio station. Sure. But they didn't do that.
4: Mm, that's one of the mysteries. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, as, as I was getting ahead of myself there, uh, when we when we when we began our, our conversation, you were talking about people writing books and not having evidence to support what they put in their books. And I, I'm well aware of that problem. I, I see it all the time. I do something called chasing footnotes, and I do that on my blog periodically, where I'll read something in a book and it'll be footnoted, and I'll t- go to the footnote to see what the original source was and try to chase it to the end and find out that oftentimes what was in that hmm. book, by chasing it to the original source, is not quite accurate. Are And, and you're suggesting that a, a, a much of the stuff it's written about the Bermuda Triangle sort of the same way—the writer putting his own interpretation on stuff, as opposed to um, looking directly at the facts.
4: Yeah, I'm not a Bermuda Triangle expert. I'm an expert in Flight 19 and and obviously the Martin Mariner, uh, that that particular thing. That's my subject area. So that's what I like to claim I'm an expert in. And uh, so yes, I I look at the facts. You know, and I should state this that. In the books that I've organized, you have to understand that I'm not the actual author, per se, because it was the U.S. Navy who actually authorized all the stuff that I put in order. So what is there is nothing of my opinion. It is strictly considered factual from the Navy's standpoint. Now, there are mistakes, and they even admit to that, even in the report. But the reality is that was the best information they had at that time, uh, and it's still the best information that we have today.
1: So you're you're suggesting, like I have, we need to get to the original source, and the original source, of course, is the Navy documents.
4: And that's exactly what I I put together uh, at Flight19.com. Is that's so, what you need to look at.
1: So this is the evidence you use to support your theory: is the, the the Navy investigation of the disaster.
4: Right. It's it's all their work, and and everything that we do is try to use historical data. We try not to use, and we, we can come up with assumptions and in, in theory, right? That we can do. But proving your theory, you have to take the evidence that you have, which is in the Navy report, to support those theories. And that's fortunately what I've concentrated on, those 500-plus pages to utilize for what we do uh, with with uh, the theory of Flight 19 and the Mariner.
1: So if I understand what you're saying. You use the Navy documents the tower records, all of that information, you were able to plot a course for flight 19 and you believe, you know where the flight uh, crashed. Yes. But you have, but you haven't gotten out there to explore that site. So you have no physical evidence from that site.
4: That's correct.
1: It's based solely on the, on the Navy documents. And to prove your theory, you need to dive down and retrieve parts of the aircraft.
4: That is correct.
1: Okay, so that brings us to the Martin Mariner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that end of the story.
4: Well, where should I start?
1: (laughs) With it taking off in the search.
4: (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) With the search. Well, obviously, uh, once Flight 19 uh, was considered uh, uh, missing, um, they sent out uh, two Martin Mariners. Uh, The first one was Trainer 32, Mm -hmm. and the second one was Trainer 49. Uh, trainer 49 is the one that actually uh, never came back, and um, that's the one that we believe is, uh, you know, the closest to shore, uh, the one that would have the highest probability of being recovered. Uh, because what's interesting about the the characteristic of the ocean floor off of uh, the Cap- Cape Canaveral and, and Daytona areas is that you can go almost 75 miles out and it's still less than 100 feet deep. So it's very accessible, not only for the equipment, but for the divers as well.
1: Well, one of the things in getting back kind of to the question about um, evidence to support your theory mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing, I have read in a number of counts that the Martin Mariner was called a flying gas tank and mm-hmm. that the thing was seen to blow up uh, as it went out on the search. Is that accurate
4: information? Uh, no, it's actually false information, you know. Uh, let me start with the fact that we hear this used uh, in a lot of books that word or that term started in these Bermuda triangle mystery books is, you know, uh, as an explanation of what could have happened. You know, the reality is, is I can't find any, uh, P- PBM Mariner from that time period that, or, or any for that matter, other than this one, the claim that they blew up from, uh, you know, uh, somebody lighting up a cigarette in a plane. I've, I've never heard that. Uh, there's nothing out there to support that. I've looked through many of the the crash reports, and and most crash reports on a PBM uh, usually crash uh, for reasons uh, that have nothing to do with blowing up.
1: <laughs> wasn't wasn't there wasn't there uh, some witnesses that saw an explosion in the air? According according to some of these books, it was, it was people witnessed an explosion that they thought was the PBM blowing up.
4: Yes, actually, you have uh, the uh, the Gaines Mill, which was a T2 oil tanker um, that was supposedly a witness. And when I say that, um, there are no names in the Navy report of the captain. I mean, we're talking about a witness who saw something, yet there is no name mentioned of him in the report. And then when uh, cross-examination came to the witness, uh, the, the witness, who was, I believe, Lieutenant Murphy at the time, uh, stated, uh, you know, has there been any, any other discussions with uh, the captain of the Gaines Mill? And the answer was no. And and it just ends like that. I mean, there's there's no follow-up to these questions. So we do not have anybody by name who witnessed it. All we know is that a ship and a captain said that they saw a plane look like it caught on fire and then crash into the ocean so
1: this was um i I guess the the thing that bothers me about that you don't have the name of the captain but you know the name of the ship
4: yeah it's not me it's the navy
1: Well, i understand that but i mean the name of the captain should be recoverable through documentation
4: Uh, of course it should be yeah these were these were the things that started to make me think um you know, that there was a little bit more going on than we originally thought. Um, You know, I just wonder, and again, now this is an assumption, so I'll preface that right now, but if there wasn't a witness to this uh, missing plane, and it being stated that it went missing because it blew up, if if that was true, or or, uh, there was no witness, how would the Navy explain anything? Now we got Basically, 27 men who disappeared and two separate flights that disappeared on the same day.
1: And you're suggesting that maybe there was speculation on the part of the Navy to kind of divert attention from the mystery of the situation?
4: It wouldn't be a a hard conclusion to realize that there's a lot of unknowns. And the reason I say that is, in my research, I've actually looked for the logbooks for the Gaines Mill. Um, and I've gone through the National Archives, and there, there are none. I have um, the logbook prior to this particular uh, cruise, and I have the logbook after this cruise, but I don't have it for that. As a matter of fact, even up till now, no one has ever come up with definitive information which direction the Gaines Mill was headed, north or south.
1: So, uh, we're we're left with another mystery. We don't know who the captain was. The logbooks are missing, and uh, the testimony doesn't seem to be well vetted. I suppose
4: it, very much so. Um, and that's that is uh, to me, flight 19 is not as much of a mystery because of the data we have versus the Mariner. The Mariner is a bigger mystery because well, let's, let's break nothing matches here. up.
1: Well, we'll get back to the Mariner when we come back from this break, which I have to take right now this minute. Uh, My blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will link to some of this other information for those of you who want to follow up on it. And you can look at, uh, I guess it's flight19.com to get the information from that aspect of it. We will be back right after this. So please stick around.
0: Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. Simultv.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Sonny S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com SIMULTV.com
1: In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional, rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Marco is the guest today. We're talking, we were talking about Flight 19. We're talking about the Bermuda Triangle. And when we left, we were talking about the uh, Martin Mariner, which was uh, one of the search crafts sent out after Flight 19 disappeared. And it too disappeared. Do you have a clue as to where it might have crashed?
4: Well, we have it based upon, again, factual information, and then the Navy claims that uh, that plane took off at about uh, 628, I'm sorry, 728, and then um, according to the witness, uh, which was the Gaines Mill ship, uh, that disappeared around 7.50 p.m. So it was just about a 22-minute flight, 23-minute flight.
1: Mm And, and you have been looking for the Martin Mariner on the ocean floor?
4: That's correct. We have. And we've gone out a couple times, um, and it's probably going to take a couple more times to keep looking. <laughs> the reason for that is basically the technology is out there, um, and there's some new technology that has come out that we're kind of excited about, uh, which has to do with uh, – I'm he- sure you've heard of the term LIDAR. Uh, that they use on Josh's show where they actually can see stuff through the forest and they can see the ground and pyramids and things like that. And it's never been able to really penetrate water, but we do have uh, a new company now who is able to do that up to a depth of about 150 feet. And I'm hoping that that might be something we might be able to utilize in the near future.
1: Well, let's give Josh's show another plug here, Expedition Unknown, because you and he were out on a boat Surveying the bottom of the of the ocean there and you found some debris that might be part of that Martin Mariner
4: Yeah, it's there's a possibility. It could be Um, It's something that needs to be analyzed and looked at a little bit more carefully Um, I'm always cautiously optimistic. I'm you know, I'm never one to say hey, we found it Uh, it might look like that on the television show Uh, but I'm not 100% sold on it yet. And because of that, until we can actually verify it 100%, you know, my effort is still to continue to keep looking.
1: Were you able to recover anything from the debris you found on the ocean floor? And for those of you who didn't see the program, the ocean floor is like a flat plain of brown mud with virtually nothing there, and you came up to some wreckage that are clearly parts of an aircraft.
4: Right right um we weren't able to bring anything up i mean we have a couple things that we got to consider um you know one is if it is the the mariner um you're talking about a ship that belongs i mean a a a craft a vessel they consider an aircraft a vessel if it belongs to navy as well Uh, and part of the navy's uh vessel act is we're not able to touch anything that is considered a grave Um, we have to get permission and clearance from the Navy in order to do that. So there's other things that are going on. It's not just a matter of, hey, you you put a chain on the engine and you pull it up. We have to get permissions. Uh, There's a process to this. And so, you know, it's not something that we can find out overnight.
1: But there was enough evidence. I mean, you could see part of the propellers and some of the engine It was suggestive of it being a Martin Mariner. It was the same kind of engine, same kind of propeller array that uh, you'd see on that?
4: Yes. The problem with that is that engine, uh, the R-2800, was uh, prominent in other aircraft uh, during that World War II period. And there are other aircraft that are out in the ocean, uh, like Hellcats, uh, that uh, crashed. And remember, people don't realize this. Florida was a hotbed of Navy training and for it to, to be out there, you know, just like John Myers' plane that he originally thought was part of Flight 19, um, it ended up being a plane that was a, a TBM Avenger, but it was another Avenger that came off the USS Solomons in a carrier qualifying accident. So. Oh. So well, things like that happen. So that's why I'm always cautiously optimistic. Until I've, I've, I've seen, approved.
1: I've seen a number of reports where they found TBMs on the ocean floor in that area, and they were able to uh, get serial numbers of part of the um, the engines or material or equipment in the in the aircraft, and realized it wasn't part of Flight 19.
4: That's correct.
1: So I mean, I've seen that sort of thing. So when I came across the stories that said Flight 19 had been found, I was a little bit surprised. And, and so what you're saying to me, as I understand it now, is Flight 19, you think you know where it went down, but you have not recovered anything, so you, you haven't been able to prove that.
4: You mean you, the, Mar- the Mariner? Or, no, or? Uh,
1: Flight 19 and, then, and, and the Mariner were in a similar circumstance. You've actually found debris on the ocean floor, but you haven't been able to verify that it was part of that, uh, that search and rescue operation.
4: That's correct. We haven't been able to prove anything on the Mariner uh, at this point and um you know we're like i said we're optimistic but uh the search continues until until we can find something else i mean if we could find fuselage or other things that would really be you know how many pbm mariners have crashed off the coast of florida (laughs) um you know there's probably one other pbm that disappeared from banana river which is uh you know on its on its way to the island of bermuda uh and so that's one thing to consider as well so you know, there's not many of them, but uh, TBM Avengers. I can show you 35 of them that are off of Fort Lauderdale right now, uh, that are due to training accidents. So that's exactly what happened to um, the planes that were found in the early 90s by Graham Hawks. He thought for sure he had found Flight 19 because he found five Avengers, and they were all within a quarter mile of each other, and he thought it was an astronomical, uh, you know, possibility that. that you know, how could this be separate accidents? Well, believe it or not, it was. And it had to do with the fact that they were all doing dive bombing on targets in that area during training. So, it, you know, there's always an explanation for this stuff.
1: Well, it's kind of surprising you'd find five Avenger torpedo bombers that close together, and they're not being associated with anything other than training events. Um, but they're, they're separated in time, and they crashed at different times. They didn't crash together. That's correct. So we're still looking for the for the event, uh, the Avengers. And I guess moving back to them, you are in the process of getting together the uh, expedition to go look for the Avengers as well, as I understand it.
4: That's correct, and that's the whole point of us uh, making an announcement uh, in the near future, around you know this summer. I hope to be able to generate the interest that um, will spark. Uh, sponsors and uh, an actual um, vessel, a crew. You know, we need the best research researchers out there to help us get there. You know, if Dr. Ballard uh, in the Woods Hill Institute wanted to help out and knew we had coordinates to share with them, I'm sure they'd jump on and and work with us as uh, soon as possible.
1: But we don't we don't really know what happened. But we don't think you don't think there's some kind of Uh, paranormal phenomena going on in that area that would cause all these accidents?
4: Well, um, where we're looking and where we know Flight 19 uh, is based upon, um, you know, just even in the Navy report, they have a a fix at 5.50 p.m. uh, And that fix uh, basically shows it's outside of the Bermuda Triangle. So there's no Bermuda Triangle to be looking at at this point.
1: But but the question is, you don't think there's some sort of paranormal activity in that area that would be responsible for like Flight 19 disappearing? They, they didn't get sucked into a parallel dimension.
4: No, no but, I don't believe in that. That's that's just me.
1: And they they didn't get taken by UFOs as they showed in the beginning of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the, the motion picture.
4: No, not in my opinion. <laughs> Again, I can't prove that part of it. Uh, I stick to what is provable. And I have 550 pages of documents that basically show that the Navy knows where where they were.
1: The Navy knows where they were close enough to have found them back in 1945 or just?
4: Uh... Yeah, uh, I would say that they would have been late in finding them. Uh, they would have probably perished before they even got to them.
1: Well, I guess I, I, and I'm not suggesting the Navy did anything wrong. I, I mean, understand it was the weather was really crappy, mm-hmm. and you're you're searching for guys floating around in the in the ocean because how long would the Avenger remain afloat before it sank?
4: Just um, minutes. I mean, you know, there's been some people who have claimed, you know, in in uh, waters that were calm, you know, it was take five minutes for maybe one to actually you know sink completely. But if you're in rough seas, that changes quickly. Uh, also changes if uh, doors are opened, like in the the cabin compartment where the the radio men and uh, the gunner were. Right, so you know if you let water in, it's going to sink quickly. Um, they were never airtight.
1: Well, I mean, the point simply is, the Navy was be lo- be looking for guys floating around in the ocean sure. and at at night
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: before they before the sun came up the next day. So they didn't have much of a chance to to find them anyway.
4: No, uh, they didn't. That's a- why I truly believe that the Navy knew uh, where they, they were. Uh, and at the end of the day, they, they, that's why they continued searching. Uh, but there was nothing to find if, the, if they died in uh, hitting the waves and them sinking or broke apart and, and they just sank. There was nothing to be found. Well, Andy,
1: Morocco, I'm out of time. <laughs> oh. I'd like well, to thank-
4: it's been a lot of fun.
1: I'd like to thank you for coming on the program, helping us promote Josh Gates. Which I hope he appreciates.
4: <laughs> hey, and, we might be doing another expedition. I don't know.
1: And giving and and giving giving us a chance to get a different perspective on Flight 19, I, a way of doing that. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Next week, or next time up, we're going to have uh, Tom Carey. He's going to be talking to us about the um, the nurse. If you remember, Don Schmidt had said something about. Uh, glenn dennis and the missing nurse not being uh uh as robust a tale as it once was and tom's going to come on and give us a little bit of different perspective on that as well and uh as i like to say you know um if you've uh, read one of the books the best of project blue book or roswell in the 21st century one of the books think about putting up a review on amazon because it helps it does it does in fact help uh, promote the work and gives people an idea of what's in the book and whether or not they not want to read it i find i use the reviews to decide whether or not to buy a book so it, it is uh, something that's important to do if you've enjoyed the book you have been listening to a different perspective on the xzone broadcast network keep listening at xzbn.net and thanks for tuning in